So we're going to be in that one chapter. And I'd say Jude chapter 1, but that's not quite accurate. <laughs> Jude, and uh, this is a fascinating book. Um, um, you know, when I was uh, a young man prior to getting married, I'd go on dates with uh, young ladies, trying to figure out which one was the right one to maybe court or, or spend time with. And um, I, I would go on a date with a girl, and you, you just really wouldn't click. And he's like, yeah, that didn't work. I got set up on a blind date once. That was a terrible experience. Um, that really didn't work, but I got picked on a lot for it. Um, but um, when, you, when I went on a date with Angela... I walked away with this feeling of, you know, you know, if you're married in here, you, know, you had a good first date. You know how that is. And I feel like every time I get into a new book of the Bible, it's sort of the same where I'm like, this is my favorite book. But the previous book was my favorite book, you know. And now this one's my favorite book because they're just all so good. And you just can't, you can't go wrong with the Bible. But this is a really, really... Uh, enjoyable book, and I think you're going to get a lot out of it. There are a lot of similarities uh, in it with Second Peter, uh, some of the same illustrations that are uh, that Peter draws out when it comes to dealing with apostates. Jude draws out, but Jude expands uh, deeper with it, and then he as well gives us a plan uh, toward the end of the book, which we'll probably get to next week. But let's stand tonight. We'll read verses one through four to get started. And uh, which would be the introduction of the book, and then we'll get into uh, a little bit of its history, give you some context, and then um, really understand it here. The Bible says there, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Pay attention to verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who are before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at this topic over the next couple of weeks as we study the book of Jude. Contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. If you could bump the volume down just a hair, Joe, I'd appreciate that. Let's pray this, uh, this evening. Lord, help us as we understand the, the book. Uh, not just to walk away more intellectually uh, equipped, but Lord, uh, may what we, what goes into our head trickle down to our heart and affect our living. And so, uh, Lord, we pray tonight that you'd give us solid understanding of the Bible, and then, Lord, something practical to live and practice. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Jude. Um, Jude or Judas. This would have been one of the four stepbrothers that Jesus had. And if you know much about the stepbrothers of Jesus, or rather half-brothers, excuse me, half-brothers of Jesus, one of the four half-brothers Jesus had, and if you know much about the half-brothers of Jesus, they did not accept him when he was, before he died. In fact, it was after he resurrected from the dead, and they saw him resurrected, they finally humbled their hearts and said, yeah, this guy really is, he, 
we already knew it up here. He was perfect, but now we're going to believe here. You know, I think there's probably an element of pride for those guys growing up and maybe some jealousy there uh, where you grow up. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother and he never does anything wrong and he gets everything right all the time? Had it been sibling rivalry and you lose all the time, eventually you just don't like the guy anymore. Um, and so they gave him a hard time while he walked the earth and said, why don't you just go tell everyone who you, who you say you are? And there was some snarkiness and some sarcasm there. But after he rose from the dead, they humbled their heart and they, they didn't just accept him as their earthly brother, but they accepted him as the Messiah, as Lord and Savior. And they would be as devout as anybody in their uh, propagating of the gospel, uh, of their leading of the church movement. And Jude, or Judas, uh, he was, um, he w- so you, really you find the account of them believing, and we're not going to read it tonight, but if you want to jot this down, Acts 1 verse 4, you, get, you find that there. But Jude was a traveling, history tells us that Jude was a traveling missionary evangelist. A traveling missionary evangelist. So he, he traveled around and he preached in churches. Now, we looked at James a few weeks back. James is also one of the half-brothers of Jesus. And he was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem after Peter and the apostles were persecuted and left. Uh, uh, James took that over. But Jude was more of a traveling preacher. He'd go in and he'd spend, spend some time. Now, why is that important to this book? Now, we know that God told Jude what to pin down. But God helped use Jude's experiences and his personality and use that in pinning of the book of Jude. And one thing that I have learned about traveling evangelists that preach in an array of different Baptist churches uh, that uh, are philosophically all over the map, they have a pretty good handle, especially they've been doing it for 15, 20 years. They have a pretty good handle of where church health is as a whole for our country. Jude would have had that idea of where church health was uh, as far as doctrine and getting off the ground. Now, the church area has been around for a little over 2,000 years, or you could say coming up on 2,000 years, really. And so we, we're established and we've been around. But what Jude was dealing with back then as a traveling preacher was far different than maybe with what they're dealing with here. In this sense, the church was young. It was in its infant stage. It was just getting developed. However, we deal with today the same satanic attack that they dealt with back then. And so the warnings that Jude gives to these churches as far as, hey, be vigilant of this, be aware of this, these things can happen. These things happen in the Old Testament. Uh, they, they were predicted by Jesus. They were predicted by the other apostles. And now you're seeing it happen. And so uh, those things are still happening today to the church. I'm being a generic on purpose. We'll get into what that is in just a minute. Now... Most likely, this book was written to Jewish Christians who were knowledgeable not only in the Old Testament, but also in Jewish historic literature. Jude is fascinating for this reason. Jude references some books that are historical to, to, to the Jewish world, but not biblical. And he, um, he seems to even validate a portion of these books, but not necessarily the whole book. There are references to First Enoch, 
found in the book of Jude. And there are references to a book called the Testament of Moses that are located in Jude. Now, let me say this. I, I had a church member when I first got here ask me about First Enoch. And I guess they had purchased a copy and they were reading it and they wanted to know what I thought of it. And I said, I said this then, and I really didn't have the knowledge I now have, but I said this then, and what I said was accurate, I'll repeat it here. There is nothing wrong with reading a historical book. But God did not include First Enoch, Second Enoch, third, I don't know how many Enochs there are. He did not include those in the canon of Scripture because those were, that, that was man's account of, of historical events. That was not God's account. That's why it didn't make the canon of Scripture. Um, but that doesn't mean that some of those things aren't true. Now, please understand that everything that's inside the Bible is true. But there are a lot of things that are true that God did not include in the Bible. You all understand that? Okay? The pew is red. That's not in the Bible. But it's true. There's a lot of things that are true that you don't find in the Bible. So, just because a book is not in the Bible doesn't mean that, hey, Jude couldn't reference it or that God wouldn't have Jude reference it. And uh, so uh, we'll get into some of that here, and I'll, I'll point out to you uh, some things. I also did a really fascinating Bible study today. This is a good uh, Bible college uh, dorm room theology discussion that goes in circles and ends up nowhere. But I did some study on this because it's sort of addressed in Jude uh, here, and it's the idea of the Genesis 6, sons of God, daughters of men. Who were the sons of God? I did some, I, I, I finished up my Bible study and I wanted to dig a little bit deeper. So I did some reading on who that was and, uh, and got, got an opinion on that. I'll say this, if you don't agree with my opinion, we can still love each other and attend the same church. Okay? It's all good. It's all good. But we'll get into that and I'll show you why I believe what I believe, uh, especially coming out of the book of Jude. But uh, the purpose of the book is this, and really that's what we're coming to here now, um, well, first, fascinatingly, it's placed right before Revelation. And if you know about Revelation, Revelation is a book written to the seven churches in two and three and encourages them to stay the course and do what's right because these events are coming. A lot of the emphasis when we study Revelation is on the coming events, and understandably so. But those events are laid out for one reason, to encourage the church to stay the course and stay away from apostasy, and stay true to being literalists of the Bible. That's what, that's what that information was given to us for. Not for us to argue over who the Antichrist is or isn't, and where he'll come from, and, 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 and who the, the, the harlot is in, in Revelation 19, and all of the different things that people love to, to, to parse and argue over in Revelation. That's not what it was given to us for. It was not given to us for, for us to argue over the details. It was given to us to encourage us as a church to stay right and stay on track and, and hold the doctrine. Jude uh, is a, a good uh, prelude to Revelation because uh, Jude is telling the church there are people coming uh, in, uh, amongst you now and, and, and in the coming church era, there are going to be men, uh, there are going to be teachers and preachers, false prophets, who are going to sow seeds of false doctrine ab- among you. And not only do you need to reject them, you need to contend against them. 
You need to put on your spiritual armor and go to battle and stand up and defend the truth. And so um, Jude lays out in verse 3 that that is what's to be done. Let's jump in and notice uh, we got three there on the bulletin tonight. There's a total of six points, and we'll try to get through three tonight and three next week. Whatever we don't get through tonight, we'll finish up next week. Number one, notice a the call to contend. The call to contend. Look down with me at verse number three. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful, needful for me to write unto you uh, and exhort you that you should earnestly, look here, earnestly contend for the faith. That word contend means to, to suit up and go to battle. To defend, to contend. To be contentious means what? You like being around contentious people? I don't like being around contentious people. But, look, if you want to come stand toe-to-toe with me and, and, and try to rip off doctrine and challenge that in this church, you're going to see the other side of Pastor Lejeune. And it isn't nice. I do have a side of me that isn't sweet and teddy bear and cuddly, all right? Um, um, we had a guy, some of, you, some of you will remember this. We had a guy shortly after I became pastor, back when we had two services, he came and he sat about where Mike and John are right now in the service. I think he was sitting right where you guys are. And, and I couldn't hear him. But he was disagreeing with everything I said. Everything. Just arguing with me. I'm up here preaching. And everyone around him was looking, turning around looking at this guy like, what are you doing? Like, just be quiet. So then after 8.30, we went to Sunday school class. And I was, back when we had a men's class, I was teaching a lesson to the men about marriage. This guy had never been married. But he's, he interrupted my lesson like four times to tell me why I was wrong. Finally, I had to look at him and say, can you just... This isn't a discussion. I'm teaching. Can you just be quiet? And then after class, he comes up to me and he says, I need to ask you a question. I've got to get down here for the 1045 service. I said, sure, make it quick. He said, uh, the return of Christ, do you believe it's imminent? I said, of course I do. He goes, he steps up and he bumps my toe with his toe and he gets about that far from my nose and he goes, you're wrong. I reached in my pocket, I handed him my card. I said, sir, i got to go. I said, text me and we'll sit down and talk this week. He sends me this long text message and says something like, yeah, anyways, a bunch of garbage. And I texted him back and I said, I said, you are never allowed to step foot on the property of our church again. Do not come back. Um, I, it's my job as the shepherd to defend the flock against apostates. You know what I was doing there? And it's not about me, but as an example, I was contending for the faith. And we've got to contend for the faith. Now, with that said, that doesn't mean that you go bust someone in the nose because they believe you can lose your salvation or, you know, they're, they're, uh, they, they use the different version of the Bible, whatever it would be. You don't go... F- and, and, and Jude is going to explain in the end of the book, and I would encourage you to do this before we get to next week, what it means to contend. Because it doesn't mean to get in a fist fight, and it doesn't mean to be nasty to people. Okay, It means something very different. Uh, the, the last five or, uh, five or so verses of Jude explain that. We'll get into that next week. But we are called to contend for the faith. And I can tell you that for sure what that does mean, and that means to stand true to biblical doctrine. Stand true. Don't bend down, 
Don't bend over. Don't give in. You, you, you know what the Bible says. And if the culture wants to put any label on you, let them label you. And you just stay true to what the Bible says. And don't, 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 don't shy away from that not one bit. Number two, notice the condemnation of the corrupt. The condemnation of the corrupt. Now, what Jude is going to do is a little bit different than what Peter did in Second Peter or John did in First John, First, Second, and Third John. Um, instead of telling us what their corrupt doctrine is, he'll get into that a little bit later. He begins by describing um, uh, in the past how that this this corruption, this apostate mindset, this goes far back into the Old Testament. This is something that is patterned and observed. And listen, it started in the Old Testament, uh, all the way back with Cain, that's the, the oldest reference in Jude, and this apostate false doctrine idea can be seen all throughout church history, or all throughout biblical history, world history. So why are you surprised that it's around now? It's always been. There have always been people who've taken religion, twisted it sideways, and tried to better themselves. That's always happened. And you know what? As long as that we're here and Christ isn't rapturing His church, it's going to continue. And so if you know it's out there, don't be shocked when I tell you that it's here. And so he uh, he's going to talk about how that this group of people, there there is an impending judgment for those that are doing it in your church now. And we can look back over our shoulder at history and we can see that God has dealt harshly with those who are false prophets or are using religion for personal gain and twisting it and taking it out of place. Look at verse 4. For there are certain men, crept and unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. What does that mean? That means, uh, just like I'm ordained to be a pastor, they were like under some sort of demonic force to go and just corrupt. That's what they were after. Um, uh, they're hiding amongst you, church, they're hiding amongst you, I don't believe here, not that I know of, there's nobody here, but the church as a whole, uh, there are uh, plenty of folks that sit and lurk and wait, and by the way, uh, I'll say this right here, uh, well, let, let's finish the verse, ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying uh, uh, the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Look down at verse number 10. But these things... But these speak evil of those things uh, which they uh, know not, but uh, uh, what they know naturally as brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Um, In a church this size, in a church this size, I doubt there's any two of us that see eyeball to eyeball on everything, right? The most like-minded amongst us could find something scripturally we just don't quite agree on, all right? And so um, we have, we probably have an active base of about 250 people who come here, counting the children. Uh, you take the children out, we're probably at about 170 uh, adults that come here regularly. And nobody, not any two of us agree altogether. Can I tell you this? That if we begin to get in the habit of voicing every disagreement that we have with what's said in the pulpit or what's said in the Sunday school class, we're going to fall apart instantaneously. There are some of you in here, I know that you disagree with me on a lot of different things, but you have the Christian maturity to not go spread that around the church. And i got to say thank you 
Thank you. Because no matter who the pastor is, you're not going to see eyeball to eyeball with everything. And if we all run around and so discord with what we disagree on, then that's a problem. Now, you say, well, when I disagree with something that's said, what do I do? If I'm the one that said it, come talk to me. We'll sit and talk it out. I promise I'll give you an open ear. I promise I'll be kind to you. Uh, 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 as long as you're kind to me, or there's an effort to be kind, if it's not me and it's a Sunday school teacher, go talk to that person. But it, it takes a coward, it, it is a coward, who will go and talk to everybody else. Don't do that, okay? So, um, uh, the condemnation of the corrupt. Uh, if you look back over uh, the shoulder at history and you see the, in the Bible, you see example after example listed here of those who were corrupt with their religion and God punishing them, all right? The condemnation. They have been condemned. They have been punished. And that's going to happen to the current false prophets. Look at verse 5, and we see the Egyptians. It says, I will therefore put you in remembrance that ye once knew this, uh, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Do you know that the gospel was preached to all the Egyptians? Right? Remember the Passover? They were all told, take a lamb, shed the blood, put the door on the doorposts. I'm sure it was explained what that meant. Or your firstborn is going to die. Now, Moses has stepped into Pharaoh's court. Nine times he said, this is going to happen. And it happened. If I'm a dad, how am I not putting that blood on that doorpost? But a lot of them didn't. A lot of them didn't. And sure enough, their hearts were hardened and their firstborns died. And finally Pharaoh said, all right, get out of here. And they get trapped at the Red Sea between a couple of rocks. And Egypt or Pharaoh says, okay, army, go back and get them. And God delivered his people from those who had rejected the gospel, rejected salvation, and then he allowed the flood, the, the, the parted water, to destroy the army. You know why? Because God punishes those who corrupt religion. Let's look at another example given here in the book of Jude. How about the angels? The angels. Look at verse 6. Now, this right here, before I read it, this right here uh, is, uh, uh, again, you, you keep in mind, this is written to Jews who are very literate in Jewish literature, Christian literature, or rather, Jewish uh, Judaism literature. So you had the Old Testament they would have been familiar with, but they also had, again, the books of Enoch and uh, the uh, Testament of Moses. This here comes as a reference back into First Enoch. And the angels, which kept not the first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Now, it is my opinion uh, that this is a reference back to Genesis 6, 1 and 2, where the sons of God went in unto the daughters of men, and there were born like these, these giants who were viewed as being remarkable and incredible people. Uh, what happened was that, uh, um, well, first of all, let's talk about that idea of being a son of God, all right? You have all kinds of different groups that are called the son of God. By the way, I love to point out these problems with versions that aren't King James, most, I'm not going to say all, but because I can't, I don't know that for sure. It's possible all, but most copies 
of the English Bible that aren't King James. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. They leave out the word begotten. Do you know that if your Bible says only Son, that there's a problem with that? Because in Job, the, the Bible says that the sons of God were called to give an account and Satan was there. Adam is called the Son of God. Jesus is called the Son of God. So, there's clearly more than one Son of God. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son? Well, wait a minute. What do you do with all the other places in the Bible where it says that there is this, these other sons of God? The only begotten Son of God, the King James says, and that word begotten means beloved. The only beloved, the only cherished Son of God. So the accuracy there of the King James far exceeds most other versions, if not every other version of the Bible in that case. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, what qualified somebody from being a son of God? By the way, the redeemed are also called the sons of God. John 1.12. If God directly had his hand in your creation, then you got called a son of God. Did God not put his hand down and make Adam? Son of God. Did God not Himself make the angels? They're called sons of God. Did God not reach down and touch you and make you a new creature? Second Corinthians 5.17 Then that makes you a son of God, but only when He saved you. you. I've heard people say, well, we're all God's children. No, 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 no. You are God's child when you put your faith and trust in Christ to save you. But the angels would have also been the sons of God. And what happened was, these sons of God, or these angels, I don't know if they were fallen angels, or I believe they probably were, they went in and they impregnated, they procreated with the daughters of men. Uh, that's what this seems to be teaching. And what was their punishment? They were locked up in chains. They are, they're already held in punishment. Uh, again, if you don't agree with that assessment, it's all good. This isn't like one of the core doctrines of the church, okay? Um, but um, And if you want to talk about that further with me, hey, I'd be happy to sit and talk shop with you. But what's the greater point here? Whatever, whatever these angels are and whatever they did that was wrong, they were severely punished for it. God punishes those who pervert his religion, his faith. Look here next, the Sodomites. The Sodomites. Look at verse 7 and 8. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth um, for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. He's here talking about the... Uh, men of Sodom and Gomorrah, you remember when the angels showed up in the city, right? They, to take Lot and, and, and take him out. And these men were so perverse that they wanted to uh, do terrible sexual things to these angels. And when virgin girls were offered to them, they said, we don't want them, we want those men. How perverted was that? And what did God do? He delivered just Lot out of the city and he punished those who were perverse. And so again, God's condemnation being dropped on the corrupt. 
Now, the attitude of the apostate false prophets, again from Second Peter and again here in Jude, is that God, there is no day of reckoning. Yes, there is a day of reckoning. And we look back in history and we see that the Egyptians had their day of reckoning and the angels had their day of reckoning and the Sodomites, boy, they had fire and brimstone rain down on them for their sin and they died in fire and they, they went to hell and continued in fire. Well, there's one more given here. Look at verse 9 and we see the devil himself. Verse 9. And this would have been taken from the Testament of Moses. We don't have this story in, uh, in the... Um, uh, Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. So in the Testament of Moses, there's a story about the body of Moses. We know that Moses went up on a mount and he died there, right? And um, we don't know where he was buried. And I've heard this said, and i got to say I, I agree with this. The reason why the burial place of Moses, by the way, God married, buried Moses, but the reason why God did not want the people to know is they didn't want them to go back and worship Moses. So Moses' burial place was kept secret from the people, but there was this spiritual warfare, according to Jude, uh, there was this spiritual warfare going on between Michael the archangel and the devil over the body of Moses. We don't know if he was trying to, what's it called when you exhume a body? Is that what it's called? We don't know if he was trying to exhume the, the bones of Moses or what was going on. But there's this spiritual warfare going on. And Satan crossed such a line that Michael looked at him and he said, I'm not going to take vengeance on you. The Lord rebuke thee. Wow. Why? Because condemnation and vengeance belongs not to an angel and not to man. It belongs to the Lord. The condemnation of the corrupt. Hey, listen, if you want to come and mess with the church's doctrine for your own personal gain, you want to use that so that you can uh, 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 turn the grace of God, as verse uh, 4 tells us, into lasciviousness, then uh, then that's a problem. Let me, uh, before we move into number 3, let me just say that there are churches out there today that are mega churches, and that's exactly what they're doing. They're taking the grace of God, and they're turning into lasciviousness. Look, if you pastor a church, or you, if you pastor or attend a church, and that church is not willing to preach against sin, but they just want to preach on the grace of God all the time, be careful, be careful. Hey, you go live however you want, God loves you. Hey, you know what? Uh, you, you had a rough week this week, but you know what? It, Jesus doesn't care about what you did wrong, uh, because His grace already forgave you, so you just live how you want to. You know that's a popular message in today's culture, today's church age. And, and, and they're taking the grace of God and they're turning to lasciviousness. And what do they get from that? I've got to tell you guys, and I think if you spend any time around me, uh, whether that's one-on-one or just listening to me preach or being uh, around me, you know that my passion, after I get past my family, my passion, my number one passion, I wake up with this, I go to bed with this, I think about it every time I sit down to eat a meal. My passion is to see White Oak Baptist Church grow. That's it. I live to see this church grow. Everything I do, either directly or indirectly, has something to do with seeing this church grow, or most everything I do. Um, and I know how to get the church to grow. If I were to just relax our stance on some sin, 
and I were to change our music up, and I were to, uh, you know, talk about, stop talking about things that are so controversial to the culture, we'd have to build a new building. Quick! Now, you all would leave. Most of you would. But we, we get new people in here real quick. While I want this church to grow, I refuse to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. We're not going to do that. And if that means that we stay this size for the next 40 years, then we'll stay this size. We're not going to compromise what we believe. We're going to stand right where we stand. Why? Because one day, this guy is going to give an account to God for the way this church was run. What did you do with my bride? Man, that's terrifying. Let's move on. I don't want to think about that anymore. Number three, notice some characteristics of the corrupt. Some characteristics of the corrupt. Okay, so we looked at the past and we saw what happened when folks corrupted God, God's people or religion and how God handled that. Well, how about those that are doing it now? And again, that would have been written during Jude's time, but this would also be applicable to today. And so he characterizes them for us. Notice letter A, their examples. Their examples. So um, these folks who are apostates, boy, they've got some idols. They've got some heroes. They've got some folks they're trying to be like. And uh, you can see some characteristics in some Old Testament folks, and those same characteristics are still true today in these folks. Okay, So he lays out for us um, uh, uh, Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Cain, Balaam, and Korah. And here in the New Testament, uh, Korah is called Kor. But that Kor is a reference back to the Old Testament name of Korah. Cain, Balaam, and Korah. I I didn't, Brother Joe didn't know I was going to run through them that fast, so he he had them great out there. But Cain, Balaam, and Korah, look at verse number 11 with me. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. I'm not going to retell these stories, but you all know who Cain is, right? Okay? You know what he did wrong? We we went over that in church a couple, uh, I think, a couple Sundays ago. He killed his brother. He was the first one to bring about a works-based salvation, and that was rejected. Um, he, uh, he ended up getting angry, and he was flat-out rejected by God. And then you know what Balaam did. I preached a whole sermon a, a couple of years ago entitled The, the, uh, the, the Doctrine of Balaam. And uh, Balaam could not curse the people because God took over his mouth. He went up there to curse, and God took over his vocal cords and made him bless. But after all that was over, after the three times of that, what did Balaam do? He went to the king and he said, look, I can't, he said, look, I can't, I can't curse him. God won't let me, but I can tell you how to take him down. You get your pretty little girls to go over there and wiggle just right and, and lure those boys over and get them into these marriages and then get those girls to get those boys to worship false idols. And you know what? They'll fall. You know what the doctrine of Balaam is? Doctrine of Balaam is is extramarital or premarital sex. It's just what it is. It's uh, it's idolatry. It's idolatry. And you know what? You had a whole bunch of Jews who were going through the rituals of sacrificing and all the all of the the nuts and bolts of their Judaism practice, but then they had their girlfriend on the side, and this girlfriend was a pagan. And, um, boy, that, that's still something that, listen, that's something that's plagued 
plagued churches forever, but it's especially strong today. The doctrine of Balaam is so strong in churches. I know, I know churches, I know of some churches, they'll have a couple's retreat where they'll take, um, they'll take a trip and an overnight stay in a hotel and they'll, they'll allow couples who aren't married to attend. You know what that is? That's a doctrine of Balaam. Hardcore doctrine of Balaam. I know churches that there's open fornication going on in the church and it's just left ignored. Completely not dealt with. Yeah, you know what? You want to sleep around with every guy or girl in the area? Yeah, you can be a member and attend and, and be involved and do this and that. Listen, God is going to... That's the doctrine of Balaam and that's a problem. And then you know who Korah was, right? Korah was the, uh, the, uh, the rebel that stood up to Moses and said, basically, who are you to tell us what to do? And God opened up the ground and swallowed them whole. Right? So, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, I've got this set up, so I need to finish this tonight. I'm going to take another two or three minutes here. Notice how verses 16, um, and notice letter B there, their ego. Notice how, no, we'll get to letter B next week. I'll, I'll go over that again. But look down at verse 17 and 18. Verse Verse 16 and 17. Look at verse 16 and 17. And notice here how that these traits from those three men evidence themselves in false prophets. Now they look different, but they're the same traits. Look at verse 16. These are murmurers, complainers. Who's that sound like? Well, that's Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? Walking after their own lusts. Oh, well, there's Balaam. And their mouths speaketh great swelling words. Korah. Who are you, Moses, to tell us what to do? Having men's persons in, 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 in admiration because of advantage. There's Balaam. He wanted to become rich uh, off the king. Hey, if, if, if you'll come curse the people, I'll give you this money. I'll give you this advantage. Look down at verse um, uh, 17. But beloved, remember by the words which were spoken before the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ, how uh, that they told you there should be mockers, there's Korah again in the last time, who uh, should walk after their own ungodly lust. There's Balaam showing up again. So these are their heroes. These are their examples. Korah, Balaam, and Cain. And you can begin to see these fleshly behaviors that were in those men surface in the heart of a a leader or of, 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 of a Christian who is pushing an agenda that is anti Bible. And I'll finish by saying this the further something is from the truth, the less dangerous it is. The closer something gets to the truth without being the truth, boy, that becomes extremely dangerous. If I were to say, here's a rat poison, eat it. You'd be like, I'm not eating that. But if I gave you a brownie with just a little tiny bit of rat poison in there and didn't tell you it was in there, that's way more deadly. Because you're not going to touch the rat poison. And that's what Satan does. He'll take a truth that's 99% right and he'll slip 1% of error in it. And he'll sink Christians left and right and get them off track. So be careful about that. And so we'll finish up uh, the rest of Jude next week. And so uh, I hope that uh, you learned something from the Bible study tonight. Not only did you learned something, but you were challenged in some way for the Lord. Walk with him and contend for the faith. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed with a word of prayer.